just continually reveal not only your nature to us, which is amazing, but in revealing your nature, you show us our nature as well. And then as we look at you, you help us to become just like you. Lord, I speak for, for this church. We say yes to what you're asking us to do. We say yes to what you're calling us into, a lifestyle of holiness, a lifestyle of purity, and a lifestyle of the supernatural, where we pull strongholds and we release the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we say yes to this thing. Lord, tonight, as we, as we move into the next part of this lesson, I ask that you would continue to speak to our hearts and continue to equip us as intercessors, not just people of prayer, but equip us as intercessors tonight, Lord. I ask that you would just grip our hearts for the rest of our lives with this call. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, we're going to talk about the partnership between worship, praise, and intercession. All right? Um, when I was growing up, I, I'm one of those people, I absolutely love worship. Um, that's, if I'm listening to anything, 95% of the time I'm listening to worship music, it's just I'm drawn to it. There's just something about it. Um, my whole life, I've always been that way. Um, I'll even hear a song that's not even a worship song or a Christian song, um, like from a band uh, like Coldplay, and I'll hear these guitar riffs that they have, and all I can think is, dude, they are playing worship music. They don't even know it. Uh, we need to take that music and bring it into the church because it's pulling something out of me right now. They don't even know it yet. And, um, and, and so everything, when I hear music, all I think about is, can, could we do that in worship? Could we shift that into the, into the worship atmosphere and point that towards the Father? And, and so as I started getting older, um, I started to understand that there was a very distinct um, correlation and relationship between worship and intercession. It's like you can't separate the two. It's really unique. It's it, like we think that if we're worshipers, then we're, we're just worshipers. Like people that are on the worship team at a church would consider themselves worship leaders. But they're not just worship leaders. They're intercessors. Worship is intercession. It, it is. And, and there's something that, that, that happens when we worship that begins to do something in the heavens. And so I want to talk about that tonight for just a few moments. Um, <clears throat> the, word, the Greek word for worship is pros, proskeu, something like that. Trust me, it's, it's, all the words are au or whatever. Um, but it means to kiss. It means to kiss. And, and, and in thinking about worship, it's not songs that we sing, because we can sing the songs of, of the Father all day long and not be worshiping. We can come in here and have the whole church to come together, make sure everyone knows the songs. We can fire up the band and put the PowerPoint on and, and do all the, we can lift our hands and go through all the stuff and it not even be worship. Because worship isn't, it's not so much the things that we do. It's a connection of the heart to the Father's heart. It's a kissing on Him. It's a coming close to Him. It's a, it's a being intimate with Him. And, and He doesn't, He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The Lord doesn't want us to be a generation of people that know how to sing, know how to play instruments, know how to dance, know how to quote scripture, know how to say words of praise, but not have a heart connection to the words we say. He wants there to be, like, we can't be disconnected. And that real worship, is what we do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Real worship is the moment where we have a decision to do the right thing or the wrong thing, and we choose to do the right thing because we say, God, you're worth it. You're worth it. That's worship. 
It's just making sure that I keep close to the Father. Worship is anything that I do that makes me take a step closer to Him. When I honor people and treat people well, it's like worship unto God. Because I'm doing the thing that I should do, and it brings me closer to the Father. That's why He says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it as unto the Lord. Because as we do those things unto the Lord, it's an atmosphere of worship. Worship is loving on and adoring God. It's like pouring out our affection on Him. In Luke chapter 7, if you want to open there to Luke chapter 7, there's a story about this that that most of you will know, have heard about. I want to read some of this. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to eat with him, And he entered the Pharisee's house and and reclined at the table. Luke 7, verse 37 now. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that, that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Know the story now? And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair. And kissing his feet, worship, kiss, kissing his feet, right? And anointing them with her perfume. When the Pharisees saw this, that invited him to his house, he said to himself, if this man was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is who's touching him and that she is a sinner. And then Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon goes, oh yeah? Well, speak, pretty much. Say it, teacher, is what this translation says. Man, I just don't know if I could respond to Jesus. Well, say it, teacher. I don't know. That just doesn't kind of come across very... (laughs) Well, say it, teacher. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him $500 and the other $50. Making up my own words there, but... He says, when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. How much did one owe? $500 and the other? $50. And he's like, you know what? Don't worry about it, guys. I'm not, you don't have to pay me back at all. Simon, he, he said to them, he says, when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. And he says, which of them will love him more? Which of them will be more thankful? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one whom you forgave more, the one who owed you the most, would probably love you more for what you did. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. And he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I have entered into, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has not stopped wetting my feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair since I came here. You gave me no kiss, but, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven because she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Worship comes from remembering the debt that he paid from us, for us. I don't know about you, but I wasn't forgiven as just $50 debt. I don't know if it was even $500 debt. That was a big debt. And I know if we went around the room, each of us would, oh, I can one-up your story and I was worse than you. And Okay, that's true. That's fine then our worship should match the forgiven debt that we were. 
You see, when I'm talking about this church becoming a house of prayer, it cannot become a house of prayer if it doesn't equally become a house of worship. You guys okay? We can't let the worship team worship for us. We can't let a few people worship for us. This house has to become a house of worship. Not because it's a rule, not because we're coerced to do it, not because it's expected of us, but because he's forgiven all of us of so much. And when he forgives us so much, the only appropriate response is to love him so much. Amen? See, the best warriors, (laughs) let me say it this way, lovers make the best warriors. When you love something, you fight for it a little bit differently than if you don't love it. We're talking about being intercessors and pulling down strongholds. And man, it, it gets me fired up, you know, in the physical. Like, I wish I could physically fight a little bit, even though I know I'd be physically overmatched with, with demonic stuff, right? But when you start talking about pulling down strongholds and casting down uh, high thoughts and things that have power over regions, it awakens a warrior inside of you, right? But the best warriors are the, the ones that love the best. You can, you can tell in watching certain sporting events which team is going to win, and it often doesn't have anything to do with which team deserves to win or has the most talent. The team that usually wins in professional sports, because everything's pretty close to even playing field, most teams, the teams that generally will win is a team that fights harder for it and wants it the most. They'll pay more. They'll give up more. They'll sacrifice more. They'll work harder. You know, I've, some of the, the greatest athletes in the world were told, you're, you're too small, you're too sh- slow, you're not quick enough. Emmett Smith, you'll never make it. You're too short, you're too slow, you're not strong enough, you're not tough enough. And he leaves the NFL as the NFL's greatest rusher ever, right? By total yards. We can argue who is better. Barry Sanders, Walter Payton. But the best, he ended, he ended through longevity as the best. Because he worked harder than everybody else. He stayed longer. He beat his physical body. He ate certain things. He did what he was, he was smart. When he was, if he was going to get hit really hard, he knew what to do to slide off of the hits and stuff. There's just something about people that want it more. You guys, are you guys all right? That's what worshipers are. We want it more. We love you more. It causes us to fight with a little bit of a different um, tenacity than when we don't love. Right? Worship accesses the heavenly realm. You guys, have, you guys have been around long enough. Whenever, whenever worship, an atmosphere of worship enters into a room, you can feel it. You can feel the atmosphere just shift. Like, even people that don't even know God can walk into a place where there's an atmosphere of worship, and they can sense there's just something tangible, something different, in the atmosphere that you can't explain, that you, you, you can't make happen, like you can't put a formula together, it just happens as we begin to worship because it shifts the atmosphere, because it brings us into the heavenly realms, amen? It lifts us out of the inferior things into the superior things. I want to say this, in prayer, most of our time should be spent worshiping. I heard someone say, if I'm praying for one hour, 45 minutes of that hour is worship. And they said, you can say a whole lot of words in 15 minutes. 
But if we don't do that connection to the Father and, and put Him where He belongs and exalt Him and place Him in the seat of authority and make sure we remember that He's in the seat of authority in our life, if we don't do that first, our prayers seem to have a completely different attitude on Him than when we worship Him, right? Worshiping sets our eyes upon Jesus, right? It makes us focus on what really is big, what really is important, what really has all authority and power, right? Yeah, is that all right? We reflect the world we're most aware of. And when I worship and I look at Jesus, then that's the world that I'm going to reflect through my life the most. And, and history tells us, and, and you can go, all, we, whatever we worship, we will become. Did you guys know that? If the kid grows up worshiping a certain kind of of, you know, a cowboy or worships a certain athlete or worships gang lifestyle or whatever it is. You can make up whatever you want. If we worship it, we will become it. I don't, I don't understand. I don't know why that happens. I just know that it's true. Whatever we worship, whatever we love the most, we will become like that thing. God wants us to be most aware of him because he wants us to reflect him. Worship refocuses us. It helps us to see what really matters. See, there are times that we're to give direct attention to our issues and to our enemies. There are times where we point to that thing and we speak to it and we give our attention to the enemy, we give our attention to the issue at hand. There are times for that. But worship is always the first and the best weapon for prayer and for intercession. Worship is always the best weapon. It's always, it should always be the first weapon of choice, worship. And the times we need to worship the most are the times that we don't feel like it the most. Worship's not a feeling, and it's not a discipline either. Worship breaks down resistance in the heavenlies. It breaks down resistance in the second heaven. Worship does. I'll tell a funny story from a guy named Graham Cook. Anyone ever, you may have heard of him. This guy's hilarious. Terrence was listening to him recently. He didn't know it was in my notes, did you? We were talking, he was talking about him today, how funny he is. I was like, the guy's hilarious. He's British uh, or something like, he has a funny accent. And uh, they, when they say things, they just sound funnier. I don't know what it is. And they have weird words for stuff, you know. So he's telling this story where he's, uh, he's in Mexico and, and he's doing um, deliverance and breakthroughs and stuff and, and crusades and whatnot. And he's just tired. He's working all day and, and, he, goes, and he, he gets back to his hotel room and he wants to go to sleep. And God's like... No, I don't want you to go to sleep. And demons appear, and he sees them. You know, he's like, oh, God, I don't have time for this. I'm worn out. We've been ministering. We've been sowing, sowing the gospel, feeding the, 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 the hungry and clothing the naked. We've been doing all this stuff. I'm tired. I don't feel like messing with this right now. And God goes, I want to teach you something. He's like, all right, Lord, what do you want? He's like, I want you to see what happens to the demons when you worship. He's like, I, want you to, to, I don't want you to cast the demons out of this room. He's like, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight, am I, God? He's like, no, probably not. He goes, all right. He says, this is what I want you to do, Graham. I want you to go to every door and every window, and I want you to plead the blood of Jesus over it. Every crack in the wall, every, any place the demons could get out of your room, I want you to plead the blood of Jesus over it so they can't escape. And Graham's like, ah, this doesn't sound like a great idea, you know? So he does it. He pleads the blood of Jesus over every place. There's no room for them to, to get out. So the demons are in there with Graham. And, and he goes, okay, now what, God? And he goes, I want you to play your favorite worship album. Like, 
where are we going with this, you know? So he puts his favorite worship album in, and as it begins to play and the atmosphere shifts, these demons start going crazy. They're bouncing off the walls. They're screaming. They're trying to get out. They don't like it. They're, tr- they're bouncing here. They're bouncing there. They're begging for him to let, it out, let them out. And Graham's like, you know what? Let's play this all night. And he said, he said he never laughed so hard in his life as he's watching the demonic realm fighting to get away from an atmosphere of worship because it just it convicts them. It breaks them down knowing this is your end. Your end is you will, you will join with me in this song, right? Oh, funny story. I, I should have played it and just let you hear him. He's a lot funnier. <laughs> have you ever been around somebody and they were singing an annoying song, but the more they sang it, you couldn't help but sing along with them? Like, I'm going to throw out a couple. Don't tell my heart, my haver. You get this song in your head and it's just, oh, no. The Macarena song gets in your head and you're like, oh, I can't get it out of my head. Oh, no, right? Tonight's going to be a good night. That song annoys me, and it gets in your head, and you're like, I can't get it out. It's in my head, right? This is the song that never ends. Ah. This is what happens when we worship. We are singing a song that is annoying to the enemy, but he can't help but bow and worship. It reminds him of who God is. It's like annoying the devil when we worship. It's, it makes them angry. It frustrates them. It reminds them who has all authority and all power. I think I want to live a lifestyle that always reminds him of who has more power than him. That's a lifestyle of worship. That's what leads us into effective intercession. They go hand in hand. Remembering who God is, putting, in the seat, putting him in the seat of authority. Always, not only does it remind us of who God is, not only is it just championing, championing God in the atmosphere, but it's reminding the enemy, hey, you can try all the stuff that you want to, but I'm going to sing this song that annoys you. And you're going to have to listen to it. And I'm going to watch you bounce off the walls all night because this is God. This is the guy that I'm in love with. And I'm sorry, you have to deal with it, right? We don't worship because of the effect it has on the enemy. We worship because we are in love with a God who deserves it. Like, I don't, it's easy for me to talk about worship because it's just something I enjoy. I love doing it. But I don't have to be told when I come to church that it's time to worship. Like, I don't care what the song is. I really don't. I don't care who's leading. I don't care if I feel like it or not. There's, I can't stop because he's forgiven me of so much. You know, I, so worship is a key to intercession. It breaks things down. It, what happened in the Old Testament when Saul was tormented by demons? He would call David, the most skilled musician around. He would say, hey, go get that boy David. He's the best musician. Tell him to bring his harp. I just want him to play his harp. And David would bring that harp that was probably as big as he is. He would carry it in there to the place where Saul's being tormented. I mean, he's not just in bed sick at, sick at his stomach. He's tormented. How many, how many have ever seen someone being tormented and ravaged by demonic powers and authorities? They pull their hair out. They throw up. They're rolling on the floor. They're scratching. They're tormented. Saul would get into a state of torment, and he would say, go get David. And David would come into the place. And it wasn't because David was such a great musician or so skilled on the harp, had some special tone to it that set demons running and made them flee. David was in love with God. David was completely infatuated with the God of heaven. He wrote love songs about him all the time. Because of that love for him, 
His words mattered. So when David would come in there and he would play a song that he'd been working on that no one had heard before because he was out there with the sheep all by himself. And he would play, um, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And renew a right spirit within me. And he would just play. And as he played that worship, because of the history of what he was saying, because of the love in the words, would soothe Saul. Saul would rest. And Saul would sleep like a baby. Worship does something. Worship shifts the atmospheres. That's why I love the songs that Kyle and the team are doing. The songs that Kyle's writing. When he, the words to the song get to me because I know Kyle loves him. And I, when I hear the words, I'm in love with him. It helps me to love him. And it just changes the atmosphere. It shifts the atmosphere. That's why we're careful, and Kyle's really careful about what songs we sing here. He doesn't just do a worship song because it's popular or because it's cool, and I appreciate that about them. They don't just do a song. When Lisa leaves, she doesn't just do a song because she likes to do it. She does it because there's a history she has with that song. There's a love affair that she has, and Kyle has when they're picking out these songs that they have with the Father, that when they sing it, they feel something. And when they sing it, it shifts the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Perfect. Hey, I, I know for a fact that, you know, gr- growing up, I was one of those kids that, um, I had a lot of nightmares, demonic activity at night. I would see spirits, even up until I got married. And, and I, I didn't talk about this a lot. When I was growing up, it was weird to me. I, w- I would literally be suffocated at night. I would, I would feel like um, I would literally see demonic things. And I, I would be like, if I could just say the name Jesus, they would go away. And most of the time, yeah, that was true. But for me, it wasn't just saying Jesus. When I would begin to sing, something would happen. That was my thing. Um, I remember, you know, even when we first got married, uh, I, um, a, an evil spirit came to us when we had just moved into an apartment. Um, we moved out into Valley Ranch. I mean, we literally just gotten married. And this evil spirit came to me, and I saw it in the, in the corner of the room in the closet. And I was like, what is this spirit? Because like, we didn't bring it here. It, it didn't feel familiar. I had other things I had issues with. This didn't feel familiar, right? And I was like, what, what? What are you? What is this thing? And he said that um, he had revealed to me a crime that had taken place in that very apartment. It wasn't a murder. It, it was. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but he was saying I have a legal right to be here. I was like, No, you don't. No, you don't. And I would begin to just worship in the in the room. I would begin to just sing, and that thing would go away because he doesn't have access there. What we worship, we're giving the seat of authority to. We're lifting up above everything else. When we come to church, when we're, we're alone in the car, we should worship like we're crazy people. 
Because we've been forgiven so much. Y'all get ready. I don't say a lot of times things that I think are going to happen here because I want them to just happen. I don't want to sow seeds of what I think. But y'all just get ready. This house is going to be a radical house of worship and a radical house of warfare and prayer. I know how, anyway, I know what I've seen. (laughs) So worship, I want to talk about praise real quick and then we'll close things out. How many knows what the Hebrew word for praise is? Tehalah. (laughs) Tehalah. It means to praise. The root of it is Hallel, where we get the name, the word Hallelujah, which is the same in every language in the world, which blows my mind. Of all words, you would think no would be the same or yes would be the same all around the world. But it's hallelujah. Why? Because the word itself literally means to praise, to be boastful, to act insanely while giving praise. That's what hallel means, to act insanely, to act like a crazy person when you're giving praise. And it's interesting to me that of all the words, it's the same, hallelujah. That's why it's the highest praise. Because every language can say it and it instantly. Just saying hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't you sing it? Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. As I was preparing for this, um, uh, the Lord gave me this, this next line uh, for a, just for a reference point. Praise is a declarative and prophetic act of warfare. It's declarative and prophetic. It's declarative because it reminds every creature who God is. When we praise, it's declaring to everything on earth, above the earth, under the earth, in the earth, around the earth, wherever, that God is the God of the universe, that he's the one and the only. So praise is a declaration that everything has to listen to. It's prophetic because it places God where he really belongs. It speaks to, to where he will be on that final day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. There's a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You can read it in your own time if you'd like to, verses 15 through 27 or so. And it tells the story how they they began to worship and praise, and God went before them and won the victory. You can read all through some of the wars in the Bible, and they would send the praise team out. They would send the worshipers out. And sometimes they wouldn't even have to fight because the worshipers would win the battle. Or they would begin to worship and praise and their enemies would turn on one another. 
<laughs> Crazy stuff. From worship. From turning towards God. And you know what I like about, about this thing called worship? You don't have to be a holy person to worship. And for it to matter. The story read first off was a woman who was a sinner. A wicked, sinful woman who had a lot of sins. And she worshipped the Messiah. Kissed his feet. Broke oil on him. Some of us think this doesn't give us an excuse not to pursue holiness. Because we can't love him and not pursue holiness. I, I believe that. I, I don't think that we can fall in love with the holy God and not want to be like him and be holy. I mean, it, it just happens. But some of us think, man, I can't worship. I can't praise him right now because I messed up and my words are empty or hollow because of this thing that I did. No, that's the most important time that we need to worship. It will bring us back into right focus. It will bring us back into right relationship. See, there's that thing. I'll clean myself up first and then my worship will matter. That's called self-righteousness. The, to me, one of the greatest forms of worship is in the moment that I don't des deserve to be with him and I choose to do it anyway because what I'm doing is I'm humbling myself in my worship and I'm saying, you know what, God, I am sinful. I need you. That's such a high form of worship right there. Just saying, God, I have to have you. I have to be close to you. And even in my most wicked, sinful state right now, I've got to be close to you because you can make all this thing, all this, this gap between us just go away if I can just connect to you right now. This woman did it. I didn't read the rest of it there at the end, but he said to her, <clears throat> he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She never even said, Jesus, will you forgive me for all of my, my adulterous ways and my sins? She never even asked him for forgiveness. What she simply did was she bowed down and recognized him as the Lord. She confessed him as Lord. She praised him as Lord. She bowed and worshiped him as Lord. And what does the Bible say? If we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that he's the son of God, then we're saved. We're, salvation comes to us. So she didn't say this certain prayer and the disciples didn't pull her aside and say, now that you, you want to be right with Jesus, yes, okay, say this prayer with me. Now that you're a new convert, you need to do it. She didn't have to go through any of that stuff. Jesus said, your act of worship, uh, your act of worship recognized me as who I am. And that act alone has saved you, has forgiven you. I don't know if we understand the power of worship. It's, it's, it's why it's battled so much in churches. It, the worship, the praise, it, it, something will try to hinder it. Uh, people will get mad because they don't like the style. Who cares about the style? Now, I've been through stuff. I've had to learn some hard lessons through that. I didn't, I didn't particularly care for this thing or that thing. Who cares what I like? This isn't about me. This isn't about us. This is about he's worthy. He deserves it, right? And so worship is, is always, it's, a, it's, it's an issue because it's so important to us as believers. And this class is not about worship. This class is about intercession. But we cannot be good intercessors if we're not good worshipers. It's impossible. Psalm 103.10 says, Praise the Lord and do not forget any of his benefits. 
Worship and praise become intercession. Why don't you say that with me? Worship and praise become intercession. The reason that is is because they release the atmosphere of heaven on earth. See, there are times where I pray for something and it can bring heaven to earth. But every time I praise and worship, it brings heaven to earth. Every single time. And the real goal of intercession is to pull heaven to earth to where that reality becomes this reality. That's what intercession is. Right? Shifting the scenes. It's pulling a new scene, a new backdrop into place so that it affects everyone that's in the play. That's what worship does. It shifts the atmosphere. Amen? Worship displaces rulers and powers. Because as we worship, they have to give room for the true king and the true Messiah. You guys okay? Worship and praise is a partnership that brings intercession. We've talked a lot about winning the second heaven the last few weeks. We've talked about pulling down strongholds. Sometimes we don't have to war to do that. Sometimes what we simply need to do is just worship. Just worship. You want to drive the enemy crazy? How many want to do that? I mean, he's already insane, but we want to drive him crazy. Worship him in the good times and in the bad times. Just worship God, not him. Worship him, a capital him. Worship God in the good times and in the bad times. Worship him 24-7. You know, I'm not one of these people that says, hey, don't listen to this, that kind of thing. But listen to things that are worshipful the majority of the time. Just pick stuff that draws your heart towards the Father. Remember, do the things that bring us closer to him more and more, and do the things that pull us away from him less and less. And it, it, that's, that's what it is. And if we're doing that, then that's going, that's progress. Amen? And as a church, I'm happy, but I'm not satisfied with, with progress that we have here. I want to see our prayer, um, the ferv, fervent prayer in this church to go to another level. <laughs> Equally, our worship has to go to another level. Amen? And it's not just what we do on Sundays or Wednesdays. It's the everyday decisions. you stand. Um, I want to pray. Um, we're going to pray through worship, though.